John chapter 4, verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And we'll stop reading right there. Many Christians are fearful about trying to tell their friends about salvation in Christ Jesus. There may be many reasons for this kind of anxiety. For example, they may fear uh, the loss of their friend. If I tell this person that I'm a child of God and he's a sinner and he needs to be saved, he may never speak to me again. And it creates an anxiety, a fear in a person. Some may fear persecution. That's not so real as it once was. And if we fear that sort of thing, maybe we are like that sluggard that we referred to a couple of lessons back, the one who says, there's a lion in the street, there's a lion in the street. They may have some fear about getting their theology wrong and thus not accurately explaining the gospel in some perfect theological aspect, they may alienate God. He may get mad at me for trying to share the gospel in my limited way. Anxiety. Last week, we considered some scriptures to use in speaking to people who were yearning to be saved. The Lord had already in some fashion prepared their hearts They were wanting to hear how they could find forgiveness of sin. They were wanting to know, I realize that I have an eternal soul. What must I do to enjoy the presence of God for eternity? So they come to you for answers. Like the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The truth is, 
the people that we looked at last week are few and far between who are already anxious to be saved and all we have to do is lay Christ out in front of them. More accurate, more common, shall we say, is the woman at the well. Uh, She doesn't know the trouble she's in. And it's our job, or in the case of the illustration we have here, it's the job of the Lord Jesus Christ to come along and say, you are thirsty. Have you ever thought about that? You don't know that you're thirsty? You are thirsty. Let me give you of the water of life. Far more often we find that sort of people who are, because because they are our friend, might be willing to listen to us for a while but they really have no desire for what we possess. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to create that desire. But remember, he uses tools. And we could very well be the tool in this particular case. If you didn't get one of the sheets that's out there on the uh, lectern, uh, you can get one later. I would rebuke you, but... You can just get one later. I will go through those scriptures that are on that sheet out there. First, we need to show this person, this one who is willing to listen to us, we need to show that person that he is a sinner. This may be difficult. He doesn't think that he is a sinner. He doesn't think that he has a problem. But you have his ear for a few minutes. You might not have his heart but you have a a limited opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. You could go to those scriptures that we looked at last week, which make the biblical uh, 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 declaration, you are a sinner. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way in contrast to God's ways. Isaiah 64, 6. We all, as an unclean thing, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There's 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here we have the declaration of the word of God that points a finger straight at our friend and says, you are a sinner. But he doesn't care. He has no interest in the word of God. He doesn't doesn't listen to the plain declaration of the word of God. We think it's important, and indeed it is, but... Get out of your shoes and try to stand in his. What we need to do is convince this person that he's a sinner. Don't tell him that he is. Somehow get him to understand that he is. And these other scriptures, it's never wrong to quote scripture. Never wrong to quote scripture. But what I'm saying is these ones that I've just given to you may not be as powerful to him as they appear to be to us or as they are to us. That man's heart is like a rock. 
His ears are dull. And remember, we only have a short period of time before he will turn us off again. So, perhaps a different approach is in order. You might ask him, do you know what God requires of us all? All of us. Matthew 22, 37 and 38. We take him to the scripture. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said unto a certain religious man, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Even higher, we, we tell our friend, even more important than the Ten Commandments is another commandment that the Lord Jesus shares with us and he takes it out of the Old Testament. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. Do you love God? He'll say, of course I do. <laughs> or he might. Do you love the Lord with all your being? Do you worship Him? You could, if you want, go to, do you go to church where the Lord is, is revealed? Something like that. Do you love God with all your heart? No, nobody does. Nobody loves the Lord like He should be loved. You are not alone. And with that being true, you have broken God's greatest and highest commandment. No, you have not committed murder. No, you're not adulterer. You could go through the Ten Commandments and uh, you might say, he might say that, uh, uh, oh, I'm not guilty of these. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? Since you do not, you are a horrible sinner. You are an awful sinner. A horrible sinner. Another way to approach this might be to ask, what is the worst of all sins? Murder? Sexual assault? Treason against your country? Actually, none of these are the worst of all sins. The greatest of all sins in God's sight is not loving Him with all your heart. If you don't love God, then you have committed the greatest of all sins and that makes you a great sinner. We have to convince this person he needs a Savior. Perhaps we need to Rather than slap him in the face with scriptures that <coughs> stab him, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, convince him that he is. Your friend might say, but I didn't know that I was supposed to love God with all of my heart. No one has ever taught me. You might ask him, have you ever heard that in American law, ignorance is no excuse? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. 
Just because you didn't see that speed limit sign doesn't mean that you can go 50 miles an hour in a school zone. The same is true of God's law. Just because you're not aware of God's law doesn't mean that it does not apply. The opposite is also true. To him who disobeys God but isn't aware that it is disobedience, he also is a sinner in God's sight. Let's say that mother never taught her child not to lie. Never taught the child that it is a bad thing to deceive people or try to deceive people. In some societies, even in the United States, it, it is considered clever to be able to lie effectively or efficiently, to lie without being found out as a liar. So there are a lot of liars in our country. And what does God say about the little sin of lying? He associates it with murder. It is of the same level as uh, idolatry and witchcraft. God considers it damnable. Revelation 21 and verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why will these people go to hell? It's not just that they are liars. It's that they are sinners. They're sinners. And how many of the world's liars are included in that group going to hell? Every single one of them. You don't have to ask the fella because he's an adult. You might ask that 10-year-old, but you don't have to ask that man if he's ever lied. Just lay it out there. Liars are under the judgment of God. Period. Try to be kind. James 4.17 comes at this thing from a little different direction. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What we're trying to do is give the Holy Spirit the ammunition to convict this person or convince this person of his need of salvation. Not to do what God has told us to do, to love him with all our hearts, for example, is sin in God's sight. And it comes under his judgment. Try to get your friend to see that it is God who says that he is a sinner. It's not me. I'm not judging you. The Lord has said, for various reasons, you are a sinner. And even those little sins are huge in God's sight. Then show him the results of sinning against God. Have your friend read Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What are wages? He knows what they are. They're the reward that we might expect for some sort of service. We have agreed with our uh, employer to work for him for 80 hours a week at uh, uh, $10 an hour. And at the end of the week, we expect to receive wages for what we have done. But wages can be negative as well as positive. If what we have done is evil, the wages will be painful. And what are the wages paid for sinning against God? The Bible says, this verse says, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Is death. Explain at some point the difference between physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Thankfully, this verse also declares that the gift of God is sufficient to cover the wages of sin. The gift of God is greater than death. Ask him if given a choice, which of the two he would prefer? Life or death? I have several books on evangelism. And most of them are filled with various kinds of uh, uh, psychology and salesology. Is that a right word? Get him saying yes, yes, yes. Convince him early on just to say yes, yes, yes. And by the time you ask him, do you want to be saved? He'll be so in tune with saying yes, he'll just automatically say yes whether he means it or not. That's not what we're trying to do here. But try to get him to see some wise choices. Do you want to die or do you want to live? There's nothing psychological in the question. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father... So also the soul of the Son is mine, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Who do you suppose is speaking in this verse? It's got to be God. Why does God think that all souls are His? Hopefully this doesn't get us off track too far. But he can say that because he created all of these souls. Like the potter who made the vase. He can glaze it and sell it for $100 or he can throw it away. It's his. He can do whatever he wants with it. God has created us so we, in essence, belong to him. The creator, the owner of souls, all souls says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. If that vase has a crack in it, once it's fired because of some imperfection in the clay, he can throw it away. We are imperfect. 
We're sinners. We've already seen that. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Does that mean simple physical death? No, it doesn't. Because everybody dies. Ezekiel's talking about something more than physical death. Everybody dies. This is special. Well then, of what death is this verse speaking? Maybe that's the point where you want to introduce the difference between physical death and spiritual death and eternal death. We're talking about a death which is beyond the physical end of physical life. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities, and you can explain if he doesn't understand, your sins have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. He will not hear. Because we are sinners and because God is holy, we are separated from him. Eternally separated from him. Ordinarily, when people die and their souls leave their bodies, leave this world, they will not enter heaven because sin has separated us from God. And while physically alive in this sinful condition, those sinners shouldn't expect God even to hear their prayers. Of course, he's omniscient, he knows all things, but he's under no obligation to listen to anyone's prayers, and he just doesn't listen to the sinner. Your sins have separated between you and your God. And because of our sin, we are in serious trouble. Show him the awfulness of unbelief and the rejection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So hopefully we have established that he's a sinner. And we have established that sinning against God is a terrible thing. Next step. Among all the sins humans commit, murder, theft, adultery, deceit, the worst is actually something quite different. We've already mentioned we are to love God. The worst of all sins is a lack of love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. In other words, unbelief in regard to Christ is not just a religious problem, a social problem. It condemns the soul. John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You might point out that the world is already condemned, but that's a point coming down just in a minute. He that believeth on Christ is not condemned, 
But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. According to the Bible, why did God send His Son into the world? You might talk about several things, but this scripture says He sent His Son into the world that people might believe on Him. What do the words condemned already mean? Who is the person who is condemned already? The one who has not believed on Christ. Why is he condemned already? Because he's a sinner. And he has been separated from God by his sin. If you want to put it that way. He's condemned already. Why is this so awful? Well, part of this scripture that we just read, it's awful because light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Because they choose their evil deeds over loving God with all their hearts and souls, minds and strength. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. John was writing to Christians. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Because of the corruption of sin, everyone dies. Physically, spiritually, and eternally. For a while, we live in this world. We have life. 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. But there's another kind of life available. What is that? It's eternal life, the scripture says. Eternal life. Where is that eternal life to be found? Only in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When Christ was speaking to the woman at the well about water, he was talking about himself. I am the water of life, living water. He was talking about himself. What will happen to those who reject Christ? Their earthly life will eventually come to an end, And they will not have eternal life. Where does the person without eternal life end up? In the lake of fire. Judgment. John chapter 8, verse 23. And Jesus said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. From where did Jesus come? He came from the presence of God. He came from heaven. From his Father. According to the Bible, who exactly is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. 
The things of this world, including us, die. What will happen to the person who dies in his sin? Eternal separation from God. In other words, hell. The lake of fire. Now ask your friend, in what condition would you die if your life ended right now? You're probably familiar with tracks that begin that way. And that's all right. But I prefer to lay a foundation first. According to these things that we've been looking at, if you died right now, where would you spend eternity? Looking at this from a slightly different angle, what must we do in order to die in our sins? Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us unto us by them that heard Him? I was tempted in preparing the lesson and those sheets for you to cut off the beginning and the ending of several verses uh, because they're really not pertinent to the point. But if you and I do that in front of somebody who's lost, he's going to think, ah, that person, you are manipulating the scripture. Try not to leave that impression. And he's he's going to think that in several ways because we are hopping from Isaiah to Ezekiel to Romans. We're doing that anyway. But to try to limit that opportunity in the back of his mind. Because of the corruption of sin, everyone dies. For a while, we have physical life. But there is another kind of life available. Again, what is that? Eternal life. Where is it to be found? In Christ. From where did Jesus come? He came from heaven. According to the Bible, exactly who is he? He is the Son of God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What do you suppose the Bible means by the word salvation? See if he understands. What is salvation? Assuming... You explain to him. Assuming that salvation is talking about forgiveness from sin and the gift of eternal life, according to Hebrews 2.3, what is all that's necessary not to have that eternal life? Nothing. Neglect. God has provided the way to salvation. To be eternally lost, all that any sinner needs to do is nothing at all. He's already lost. We don't have to become worse than we are. We don't have to be worse than someone else that we consider to be a horrible sinner. We don't have to become atheists to be eternally separated from God. We already are. 
Read it, the verse again. What is the answer to the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There is no escape if we neglect God's method of salvation. Acts 3 recounts one of the Apostle Peter's sermons. Acts 3, 23. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Who do you suppose that prophet was about whom Moses spoke? The context shows us that it was Christ. What are we told to do with Christ? We are to hear everything that he says. What will happen to those who refuse to listen to what Christ said? They will be destroyed. This doesn't say that murderers shall be destroyed, or adulterers shall be destroyed, or liars shall be destroyed. Simply ignore the Son of God who came to us to give us eternal life. That simple neglect will bring about our destruction in the lake of fire. John 3.36. I need to pick up the speed just a little bit. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abideth on him. What will be given to those that believe on Christ? Eternal life. Under what does the person reside who neglects to believe on Christ? Wrath. Do you see the word abideth? It is the, an old way of saying it already sits on you. It already rests on that person. God is filled with anger toward those who refuse to believe on His Son. He is already furious with us. Now let me point you to the other side of the question. The love of God. We used John 3.16 earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. According to this verse, who may receive everlasting life? Those that believe on Christ. What is it to believe in or on Christ? It is to trust him. To listen to what he says. Believe what he says. Rely on what he says. To trust him. Go back to what the Paul told the Philippian jailer when he said, what must I do to be saved? The answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yes. And thy house. Should we believe the testimony of Christ? Can we believe the testimony of Christ? Can we believe what the Bible says? If we don't, we have nothing else to cling to. Of course we can believe these things. Read the verse again. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In what way were we without strength? We have no strength, access, position before God. <coughs> what does the word commendeth mean? It means to show or to illustrate. God illustrated his, faith, his love toward us. He showed his love toward us. How did God commend his love toward us? In the death of his son, Christ Jesus. Isn't the greatest sacrifice anyone can make being the death of his most precious loved one? God made this sacrifice. The death of Christ is the greatest gift God has ever given to sinners. Not only did Christ's death prove God's love toward us, but in that death was the means of our salvation. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be cleansed from our sin. With the love of God in mind, read Romans 2, 4 and 5. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hard, hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Toward the end of my lesson, I was falling apart a little bit. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What should we do in the light of God's love and sacrifice of His Son? This scripture says, repent. And what is repentance? It is to have a change of heart and mind about sin and about God. About Christ. According to this verse, if we refuse the goodness and love of God, what does it say about our hearts? We despise the riches and the goodness of God. Ask your friend, if these things are true, and the Bible says that they are true, what is your current spiritual condition? <coughs> Dead in trespasses and sins. What does the Bible say would happen to your soul if you died at this moment? Are you willing right now to trust Christ to deliver you from the penalty of your sins? There are lots of other scriptures that you might use and you might have your own preferences. That's all right. But here's an outline. I'll let you take a break.